Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com podcast with me gary trust billboard's co-director of charts and we're coming to you from on location this week it's our first uh episode from beyond uh, billboard's offices and really excited because it's, it's a homecoming for me it's uh, back at boston university wtbu radio boston university's student-run radio station um some sad news there was a fire at the station recently uh, so that's that's a big reason why we're here to, to talk about uh, what happened, but but more importantly, how the station is going to rebuild and continue. Uh, the station has a great history going back more than 50 years, and, and we know that's going to continue. So happy to talk about that uh, today and how people can uh, donate. Uh, already some great numbers of how people have been donating. So we'll get into that and also just why college radio continues to be great. It's, it's such a great in and still a really important part of the music business. So uh, going to get into that uh, with uh, really a great guest that we have with us uh, this week here on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. It's Boston University Associate Professor of Journalism and WTBU Radio Advisor, Anne Donahue. And welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Welcome back to BU. I have a little bit of a weird flashback here. It's been 20 years since I last, uh, since I graduated at BU, since I was on WTBU myself. It's, it's funny to see how much of, of the school here, just looking around, really looks the same. I, I, there are more computers. I don't remember as many computers back then. A lot more computers. I, I wish I could give you a tour of the station where you got your start, but unfortunately it's a big black hole next to us today, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that because I, I know uh, it was pretty shocking when I saw the uh, like my father actually uh, said, oh, there was a fire at BU and it was at the radio station. I'm like, oh, I mean, first thinking, hope everyone's okay. And then thinking, wow, that's really sad that the station where so many people have started had this fire. So so what happened? And, and, and more importantly, everyone's okay, right? Everyone is okay physically. Uh, three people were in the station when the fire broke out and um, they were in a soundproof booth with the door closed, probably headphones on, heard nothing. And um, the, I guess the lights started to flicker, and they went to adjust the light switch and smelled smoke close to the door and opened the door, and black smoke just engulfed them. So the left-hand side of the studio where the performance space was um, is, was completely toast, melted black, nasty stuff. Uh, the room where they were, the live studio, and the other rooms on the right-hand side of the studio did uh, survive the fire, but the smoke and the just smelly stuff um, 
from both the soundproofing and the, just everything that was hanging up. Um, it's just a, pretty much a total loss. They had to take everything out. Do we know how it started? Uh, it was an electrical fire in one of the back studios that um, is used for per performances, and they're not that frequent, so it's a pretty much of a dead space. So we're not completely sure, but the fire marshal and the um, electrical engineer came in and said it looked like a, either an overloaded uh, power strip or just something that was plugged in that wasn't actually charging. So fortunately, it was not started by students, which uh, has always been a fear of mine, but um, thankfully it wasn't, and it was uh, you know, heard and discovered fast enough that nobody was hurt. And the studios are also here in BU's College of Communication. So your office is right next door, and there are classrooms. I, I guess you have to think overall, probably pretty lucky that nobody was hurt more than, than the people who had the smoke inhalation. Yeah, it was incredibly lucky. Um, there's a lot of hidden spaces in this building where people are doing sound editing or tape editing or, you know, films or whatever um, and have headphones on and are really listening to loud stuff. And um, I can understand why sometimes that doesn't work. So I think we've had a really serious wake-up call. Um, they're going to be upgrading our fire prevention to have strobe lights and sort of vis visible warnings as opposed to just audio warnings to get out of the space and, and get out of the building. So it's been a, you know, sad chapter, but it's also been an opportunity to really fix things and make them right and um, go forward. Well, the station has been through other uh, challenges in the past. Uh, there's been a big flood when the station was in a different location. It was uh, the Miles Standish Hall uh, dorm, which is where I did my show from back in the 90s. I'm sure everyone's heard it. It was uh, heard by so many people <laughs> back then. Uh, also survived Howard Stern having his first uh, radio show ever. It was on WTBU. We'll, we'll talk about Stern, uh, who's, who's a big fan of the station uh, all these years later. Um, but with all those, uh, those uh, challenges that TBU has faced in the past, it's always continued, it's always survived, it's always thrived, and that's the plan now, right? TBU is, it's off the air now, but it's going to come back, correct? Absolutely. Uh, there have been assurances from all and high that we will not only come back, but we will survive and thrive. Um, there's discussion, and only in the discussion phase now, of moving some parts of the station down to the first floor of this building where they'd be more visible. Um, and I, that's been a goal of mine for as long as I've been here, is to get it someplace where people walk by and see it, and then know to listen to it and get involved with it. So um, that's my goal. That's what I hope will happen, and that seems likely. Uh, I think we'll continue to have space on the third floor where we currently are for the performance space and for offices. Um, and so, this, you know, the fact that it'll be over two spaces is a little bit disconcerting, but I think the benefits will outweigh the risks. But the bottom line is um, the outpouring of support, uh, alumni support, has been fabulous, and I think nobody at BU thinks they can close down WTBU. We, we will survive. That's, Gloria Gaynor. <laughs> yes. Um, I remember when I did my show, this is the, I will not keep talking about my show, but we were in, we were in the basement of that dorm, and I was, I'm not sure, joking or it was actually the truth. I, I feel like the people who heard that show, there was a waiting room next door. I think sometimes they were the only people who heard it. And they would come in and say, hey, can you turn that down? We're trying to, we're, we're trying to play our, our music here. It's like, okay. <laughs> but um, I learned how to do radio at TBU, and, and we'll talk more about how that's still such a, a great thing and why college radio is, is still so important. Um, 
so many people uh, have been donating, right, to WTBU. I've seen lots on Facebook. How's, how's the donation process going so far? Right. Uh, the first few days, we just set up a link, um, and I think we raised about $4,000 in the first couple of days. And then, coincidentally, BU has an annual giving day, which was yesterday. And um, so the, the development department um, really helped us with sort of outreach and tapping into an alumni database that we were creating. And we ended up raising $33,000 as of this moment, um, and there's pretty good chance that there'll be more coming in because we know for things didn't get marked the right way, so we're, we're confident even more than that. But it's it's huge to, in one day to bring in thirty three thousand dollars, so very exciting. Is that uh, much higher than you might have expected? Any any perspective you can put that in? Yeah, we had um, almost three hundred individual donors. We had a matching donor of fifteen thousand dollars. Um, and uh, it is more than 11 of the other colleges at Boston University. Um, so it was a huge day for WTBU. So that had to just make you feel good that knowing just what it means to people. Uh, maybe it's uh, former uh, students who worked on TBU and, and just, just that heart and soul of the station that uh, continues long after people graduate. It was amazing. I mean, immediately on Facebook, I was just getting messages all day, every day for the last 10 days. Um, you know, what can we do? Can we send money? Can we send you albums? Can we come and paint the place? Can we help go through the stuff and save any archives? Um, you know, everybody was, in, there's a group um, maybe two or three years out um, that are running a starting a fundraiser. They're going to have a, uh, a performance uh, later this month to raise even more money. So it, it's all kinds of creative ideas uh, coming together. And um, it's just been wonderful. I, you know, I really have I've touched so many students, and they've touched me, and it's, it's great to be back in touch with them. And obviously, uh, everything needs to be replaced, right? All, all the equipment, all the studios, so you're kind of starting from scratch again, unfortunately. It looks that way. Uh, everything was removed from the station and put in pods behind the building. And last week, uh, I went out with a couple of students, and we went through the albums. And um, most of them were smoke damaged. Some of them were melted, but some of them were intact. Uh, and then the question was, you know, the cost to clean these up by official environmental cleaners, not just me dusting them off, was it worth it to preserve those? And so we haven't made a determination on all of them. Um, but we have saved some that we thought might have some value. But, you know, I wish there was an archivist of music history here because there's probably lots there that I don't even know who these artists are. Um, yeah, but the CDs we felt weren't worth saving. Those That can be pretty easily replaced and not worth cleaning. A um, couple of sentimental things. Howard Stern's autographed letter to the station um, was completely covered in soot, but we have uh, put that in the pile to be cleaned, and we will hang that again in Howard Stern's first station. Nice. It's uh, the Charby Podcast here for Billboard. Gary Trust uh, this week speaking with BU, Boston University, Associate Professor of Journalism and WTBU Radio Advisor, and Don Hugh talking about uh, the fire that just happened at uh, WTBU, uh, now off the air, but the station is continuing. You're actually doing podcasts now, right, for people who still want to do their shows uh, in some form uh, through the end of uh, the semester. All right, technology is amazing. Um, it's it's really wonderful. So a couple of the kids have, have never really done any audio production work, don't know how to use Audacity or, or Audition or learning quickly how right. to assemble something. And um, so a couple of them have done podcasts. They're trying stuff with Periscope or Facebook, you know, live streaming, uh, just experimenting with a bunch of different platforms to try to get their, their music and their stories out there. So my classes, who journalism classes that do stuff, we have recorded the stuff, and now we are posting it on the BU News Service journalism site. Um, and the other kids are posting the stuff on SoundCloud or 
I sound Mixcloud and other other platforms. So it's it's been you know, I guess out of diversity comes opportunity. So that's how old I feel now. When I was a senior at BU in ninety five ninety six, we had classes that were talking about this new thing called the internet. And it sounded actually really boring because it was all about <laughs> data banks and you can store this. I'm like, I don't know what this is. This doesn't sound that interesting. This was just this was just 20 years ago. Yeah, I, I, I shouldn't say this, but I'm not an early adopter. So a lot of this stuff was uh, scary, futuristic. How do I get my head around this? And now I can't even fathom life without it. So, um, you know, it's been fun to watch. It's been a very interesting time to be in this business because the change has been constant, and I think that probably is the future, too. Um, so you're never bored. You're always learning some new techniques, some new equipment, some new software. Um, and just, you know, the ability to reach people anywhere in the world has just made the world a much smaller place. In my other life, I did some you know, foreign reporting prior to coming here to teach, and, you know, I just remember setting up satellite phones and, you know, certain uh, logistical nightmares of trying to find people in overseas locations to talk to, and now it's just like Skype. Thirty seconds. Here we go. You know, it's a whole nother world. So when I was on WTBU, as I said, we were in a basement of a dorm. Carrier current, uh, the local uh, frequency that a college, many college radio stations broadcast on, you could hear it within the dorms. If if that the the, the frequency just wasn't that strong, so you were kind of doing a show for yourself, maybe some friends listening, and that was fine because you were really there to get the experience. But it was after I graduated that uh, TBU went on the web, and now. It probably sounds really antiquated to say that uh, college radio just reaches a few people in a dorm because once you're online, the whole world's listening. Was TBU the first college radio station in the U.S. to webcast? That's correct. Uh, It was Halloween 1999, and a group of students decided to try this thing, and I said, sure, let's give it a go. Um, as you say, we were on carrier current in the dorms, a very limited stream of you know audio in not every dorm even. Um, occasionally, the you know construction people would come in to fix the you know electrical system and they would cut our our antenna. So uh, it was a very sketchy, you know very limited audience. So when we went on the web, um, you know it made it possible for anybody that was smart enough to find us um, out there. So that has helped immensely to let the, I think, professionalize the students. They know there are people listening out there. You know, I listen to the station in my office all day long, um, and the, the dean and other upper echelons of management here also have listened and have heard some not-so-nice lyrics at times, and we've had some conversations about that. Um, but for the most part, it's been much more professional in the programming. You know, people show up for their shows. They know somebody's going to be listening um, so it's been great. You know, the hard part is sort of now with so much online, it's the clutter. How do you cut through everything that's out there? And so kids are having to be much more about marketing and branding and getting their names out there. And, and some kids are much more successful at that than others. And, you know, I think that's something that they just have to learn for the future in whatever profession they choose to go into. It's all about branding yourself and um, developing a following. So, you know, social media has been huge. Um, we have a lot of live shows. We support local bands. Um, so that's been, you know, brings in a different audience. The sports department has been, you know, for years been great, and all of those kids seem to have gone on to professional jobs and professional sports organizations doing play-by-play or um, writing for sports newspapers. So, um, you know, I think it's great 
place to learn. It's a great place to make mistakes. Your audience is small, so if you fall on your face, you can get up and not have embarrassed yourself in front of a million people. Um, but it's also, um, you know, it's really, it's, it's a lot of fun, and kids enjoy it for the social reasons, too. It's also the only time I've, I've told the kids, too, about this in college radio where you're pretty much going to have the freedom to play pretty much whatever you want. Once you go on to commercial radio, which is great and the goal for a lot of students, uh, you'll be looking at a playlist that is maybe not programmed by you. You should you should enjoy that while you have the opportunity. I'm not sure they appreciate that. I, I don't even know if they listen to commercial radio to know just sort of how similar it all is and that it's all programmed by some executive in New York as opposed to by the DJ that is sitting there. And I think that's a shame. You know, when I grew up, Aerosmith was a local band here. Um, they got play on the local radio station, and they took off. Um, that opportunity is the only place for local bands to do that is on college radio right now. So the relationships are great. Um, unfortunately, the payback for the bands is not necessarily as great because the audiences aren't as good. So um, it's frustrating to cut through, you know, for the bands especially, to cut through and get uh, to a higher platform. And I wish they would sort of decentralize this, but the economics of it just are never going to uh, be that way. When I got my first shift on WTBU uh, fall 1992, I can still remember I was at a payphone. This, now we're really going back, payphones back then, in, in Miles Standish Hall, the dorm, hearing from the program director, telling me as a freshman I had a shift on Saturday nights. It was just the biggest deal in the world to have a shift on the radio, on WTBU. Do kids still feel that way today because it's totally different? Anyone can broadcast from their bedroom on YouTube, on any platform pretty much. Back then, in the early 90s, radio was one of the few choices where you could be heard. What is the reaction now of kids? Is it still that huge deal when they get a show and, and just to be on WTBU and college radio? You know, I, I really can't answer that because I think that's a good point, and I haven't thought about that. The sort of the exclusivity of having a show is definitely diminished. I think a lot of students do it because it is social. They bring their friends in. Um, you know, they play the music that they like. So it's it's a fun community event. I'm not sure they think of it as sort of a, a launch pad for their voice to be heard. Um, you know, I think there have been certain, certainly kids in the past that have used this to expand their brand and have done it very successfully. I'm thinking of one kid in particular that's now at Boston Magazine. Um, and, you know, he's just made a name for himself by being a little provocative and but also sort of making, making headlines himself. So um, I think that's part of the, um, you know, appeal is that, that you can bring your friends in and do it as a social activity. I'm not sure the same cachet of, of being out there in public is, is what it was. I would hope, personally, there still is, because I still think there's that legitimacy that radio... It's, it's broadcasting. It's not narrowcasting. It's broadcasting. So I would hope that that's still a, a big draw, that you are reaching a wider audience, and, and hopefully kids still find, find a respect and an and appreciation for that. Yeah, I teach one um, narrative radio class, and, and most of the kids are print students or they're not really interested in, you know, radio as their main occupation. So we do a live show on WTBU at the end of the semester, putting on their best pieces from the semester. And it strikes me, a lot of these are graduate students in their late 20s and are, you know, very serious people, and they're calling their mother before they go on the air to say, <laughs> listen to me, Mom. So it's cute. I mean, that part of it is still kind of a nice, a nice feeling that, that anybody out there can listen. You just need to convince them to listen. You mentioned uh, some people who have gone on from TBU and the business. I know here in Boston, uh, both the radio voices of the Bruins and the Celtics, uh, Dave Gosher and Sean Grandy, are former WTBU 
uh, uh, they were on W. Dave Gosher was my GM in, in my senior year. I listened to him now calling Bruins games. Uh, Jeff Ross, the comedian, uh, the Roastmaster General, he was on TBU uh, years back. Uh, Rob Arrow is uh, in Westchester on 1071 The Peak. He, I found out a few years ago, uh, created the Cram Jam which uh, oh, is, is for, for, for non-TBUers uh, at the end of the semester. Uh, we do blocks uh, on the station. I remember uh, doing that, and I, I was so excited when I found out that Rob was the one. He looked at me like I was insane, like, how, why is that exciting? I'm like, no, it's the history, the history of TBU. You're, you're a part of that. Well, you're filling me in on a lot of history I was not aware of, <laughs> so I'm going to have to take notes here and uh, write down some of these famous alums. Um, in my tenure, we've had a lot of kids go on, but largely a sports group. Um, Justin Kutcher is at ESPN uh, doing play-by-play, and several of them have gone to do play-by-play in um, you know, Florida. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The spring league stuff and then gotten jobs. Uh, one recent grad just did the play-by-play for the Villanova basketball game at the end of the Final Four, so uh, that was pretty exciting. Um, I have a couple of kids that are at Sirius and XM, and because I teach journalism, most of my students that aren't just people I know from the station but know from class are in public radio stations all over the country, um, from NPR in Washington to KUT in Austin to Penn State Public Radio and beyond. So they're they're out there. One of my students just got a job at the Vermont Public Radio. Many go down to WBUR, WGBH right here in Boston. Um, at one point, Living on Earth, NPR's environmental show, was entirely staffed by my former students. So um, it's kind of an exciting Thing to know that they're all out there and broadcasting and doing well. This is Campus Radio, 6.40 a.m. TBU. I sh- actually, um, I should say WTBU. And uh, my name is Howard Stern on the Howard Stern Experience. Oh, my God. And Howard Stern. Uh Howard Stern. I would love to meet Howard Stern. Howard, where are you? Um, We had a a general manager last year who graduated last spring um, who was a huge Howard Stern fan, and during his four years here, 
he reached out to Howard many times, and we sent him T-shirts and sweatshirts, and uh, we won College Station of the Year three years in a row. We sent him a, a CMJ sweatshirt that said DJ Emeritus to Howard Stern, and he sent us a nice thank you note, and we framed it and put it up in the station. Um, so in his senior year, the student, John Michael Cedor, um, took one of the spaces in the station and turned it into the Howard Stern Lounge and put up posters of private parts, Howard Stern's movie, uh, took the letter that we received and other, other Stern memorabilia. Uh, but Howard never came. So John Michael was graduated disappointed, and it, over the summer after he graduated, he got an email from Howard saying, if you're ever in New York, come by and see me. So John Michael and his mother went to visit Howard and got on the air with Howard for about half an hour, 40 minutes. And um, it was Howard at his best, I guess, quite provocative. And um, it was the, the, probably the highlight of this kid's life. He is, you know, just still coming down from that cloud. So, uh, so we're hoping Howard will come visit us when we have a new station and we can show him all of his memorabilia still here. And uh, TBU will always be in history for, uh, apparently, we think, we think this is true, the first station that ever fired Howard Stern. That's what he says in the movie Private Parts. <laughs> I don't have any knowledge of that. I was not the general manager or not the uh, student the advisor at that point in time, and I'm not even sure who was. Um, but I've tried to get that history straightened out, and when Howard comes to visit, I will absolutely ask him about that. It's uh, Ann Donahue here on the Billboard Chartbeat Podcast this week, Associate Professor of Journalism uh, at Boston University, WTBU uh, Student Advisor. Uh, Ann, we'll, we'll make sure everyone uh, knows, I don't think we've said yet, but if people do want to donate to TBU after the fire that has uh, taken the station off the air temporarily because the station will be back, uh, what are some of the best ways or, or, or the way for people to do that? Uh, the easiest thing is to go to WTBURadio.org, and I believe there's a link to a pre-populated um, giving page. Um, if that's not the case, you can go to the BU giving page and request under the College of Communication the WTBU fund, um, so that it definitely goes directly to us and the rebuilding project. What do you do as advisor? I think you've been here. You've been here a while now, uh, advising students. How how does that work? The station is student run, which is great, but you're there uh, for for any any help that might be needed, any any, any consultation, the, the the guiding force that people know, uh, the, the the safety net. Uh, I, it's been varied over the years. Um, and at the beginning, it was sort of, um, I have to do this job. And I thought these, you know, I was a little intimidated coming into teaching college. I had, had you know, little children at the time. College students seemed like these were going to be these dark, strange people. Um, as I've gotten to know them as people and treated them as peers, uh, it's a much better relationship than I had at the, in, the initial years. Um, we meet once a week with the executive board, which is 15 to 20 students every semester. And most of what I'm doing is sort of the historical memory of what we've tried before, what hasn't worked, what has worked. Um, trying to have some uniformity in systems that uh, the station runs. And crisis management, you know, sort of when things happen, dealing with it and, um, and looking, keeping an eye on sort of what's coming down the pike. Uh, Jake Casson, who was a WTBU technical director, probably early in my tenure, is still here as a uh, staff member at BU. And he has been great in terms of looking at what's coming down technically, what's the next step. And so we talk about that and sort of what to do. You know, getting on the web was one step, but just, you know, as technology has changed, how we upgrade technology. And it's just being a mentor to kids that, you know, they want to get into radio, what is the, op the opportunities out there, um, and just trying to be supportive of what they're trying to do. But I, I don't try to micromanage I don't 
look at the programming schedule. They can put on whatever they want. You know, I listen to programming, I would say, several hours a day, but certainly not the full 22 hours. And, um, you know, it's, it's their station, and I want to let it, let a thousand flowers bloom and, and see what comes out of it. And that's uh, one of the great things about listening to college radio. You have no idea what you're going to hear, maybe in, in one show from one song to another. Yeah, we've, we've tried to, various times, and I think we're doing this still, is it not completely have predictable blocks, but we have certainly, we have a show B in the morning, three mornings a week, which is sort of a talk show. We have left of the dial in the afternoon, sort of the indie scene. Uh, sports and news fill sort of the six to eight hours. So there's some predictability to the schedule. When I first started, it was totally eclectic. You know, you could go from hip-hop to classical to, you know, acapella and in one show. Um, so it's it's a little bit more, your show has to have some defining purpose and some goal. Um, but it's, you know, some people just do eclectic anyway, and nobody's going to tell them they can't. And uh, as professor of journalism, I was thinking before how... How much that's probably changed since I was at BU in the 90s because, it, as we said, the Internet was just starting then. If you needed any information, it was either looking at an encyclopedia, a bound volume of encyclopedia that maybe you had at home, or, or you, you found stuff out in, in class by learning. And it, with everything on the web nowadays, I would have to think that the focus of teaching is probably changed from just presenting information to, you tell me, ways I, don't, I probably can't even imagine. It's, uh, journalism has just been in a complete state of flux in the last 15 years, um, for better and for worse. And it's been difficult at times to sort of see real fabulous institutions kind of crumble. Um, public radio, where I come from, has sort of been uh, not immune, but sort of protected a little bit because the business model of public radio has been call up and give money to your public radio station or foundation corporate underwriting. Um, so they haven't needed the advertising base that, that newspapers have. So they've survived um, and, and, and thrived, in fact, that the listenership for public radio has continued to grow. Um, but it's, it's a, you know, it's a, as you said, you can find anything you want on the web. I think the biggest part of journalism is to make sure that what you're finding is accurate. And our job here is to teach more than anything sort of ethics of fact-checking and making sure that people get it right, triple-check, you know, get confirmation. Um, just yesterday, the New York Times had a piece about the gay Talese flap that happened here at BU this past weekend, um, and it just showed some pretty sloppy reporting printed by the New York Times, and, and the New York Times is certainly not alone, um, but there's this impetus to do everything fast, quick, you know, Twitter is 140 characters, put out whatever you want out there and see what happens. Um, I still feel like there needs to be some kind of minding the store and checking your facts before you repeat what some of, you know, the retweeting phenomenon scares me because once you put a bad fact out there right. or bad lie out there, it just uh, goes everywhere. So you need to be hyper vigilant that you are telling the truth and that's what we try to instill more than anything. And a lot of what I teach is basic storytelling and that has, you know, been around for thousands of years and millions of people have done it over time. But it's still like a, a craft that you need to keep doing and practicing and practicing and practicing and have good mentors who can listen to your work or read your stories and sort of say, here's where you lost me, here's where you need to clean it up, here's where you need to move forward. Um, and I think that, that storytelling skill is something we teach well and um, will never be um, out of date. One of the lessons I've always taken with me, I remember hearing this, I, I think, 
maybe Calm 101, freshman year, the first class, the first class you take it. At BU was a very simple way of putting it. Uh, when telling a story, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them. So that intro, body, and closure to really make sure all your points are made. Am I really out of date by, by still mentioning that? Uh, I, I've used that line many times. You know, in the 140-character world, we don't have that option. Right. Um, so a lot of the, what we're doing now is trying to figure out how to get the message out in a shorter, more compelling way that will cut through the clutter. Um, but as much as I, you know, sort of disdain Twitter, um, I look at sort of Serial that Sarah Koenig did, the podcast that put podcasting really on the map. And that was long form, 10, 12 episodes, you know, 40, 50 minutes each. And it, people were glued to it. More downloads than any other podcast in the, up in the upper, you know, millions now. And, um, you know, phenomenal. So there's this hunger for long form stuff that's detailed, that's researched, that's thoughtful. And I'm confident that that will continue to exist. My worry is that lots of people will stick with Twitter and won't go into that long form stuff and will be misinformed. And I think some of what we're seeing in the political discourse this year has a lot to do with misinformation. And, um, you know, that's really unfortunate and quite scary. I, I, I think a, a devoted person who really wants to learn something can use the Internet to learn almost whatever they want to learn in any discipline. Um, so I don't think college is just about the I impart knowledge from the hilltop and you sit down and listen and take notes. It is about building relationships. It is about working in teams. It is about, um, you know, the give and take and trying and having somebody listen back to you. You know, if I just learned everything from the Internet and nobody critiqued my work, I would be nowhere. I need ruthless editors. I need people who are going to say, yes, no, keep going in this vein, stop going in this direction. Um, so I think it's in the, in the camaraderie, in the communication between the mentor and the, the student. Um, and, you know, obviously there's the, the connections piece of being in college and meeting other people with similar interests. And, you know, people that I worked with in my first jobs are people I'm still in touch with professionally. Um, and building those networks starting in college is important. So um, it's not just imparting knowledge, it's imparting relationships. And your uh, your background in is uh, is really impressive. Uh, it's not just just T uh, BU. Uh, there's there's uh, like I don't want to get it wrong because there's so many uh, uh, parts to your resume. But uh, NPR, BBC, uh, WGBH, WBUR here in Boston, ABC News. I know you covered uh, the 2008 uh, Summer Olympics in Beijing for NBC News. So for all the students you're advising, they would be smart to listen to you. I'm thinking. Uh, that sounds much more important than it actually is. <laughs> a lot of that is freelance work that I did for those organizations and not staff jobs, so I want to clarify that. Um, I did start at ABC News in Washington and Network TV, which um, was totally a fluke. A friend of a friend of a friend got me the job, and I really wanted to be a print reporter. I grew up with Woodward and Bernstein and all the president's men, and I thought I would be a newspaper reporter. Um, got this job in TV, um, then followed my then-boyfriend, now-husband, uh, to Boston and worked at the local uh, Channel 7. That's now a, I think it's an NBC affiliate now, but it was probably a CBS one then. Um, and really didn't like local news. It was bad then, and it's so much worse now. Sorry, but I, that's my take on it. Because um, too too flashy? It, yeah, just so, you know, no depth to it, and um, not terribly bright people on the air talking about things they don't seem to have a lot of depth in. I mean, there, there are certain, ex many, many exceptions to that, and some of them are my colleagues today. Um, but for the most part, I think it's, very, it's a lot of uh, very thin, uh, very shaky reporting. 
So that said, uh, I left to go back and get a master's at the Fletcher School at Tufts because I really wanted to do international reporting. So proceeded to go that route and then got pregnant twice while I was getting my master's degree, had two infants and thought, okay, international reporting with two little babies, this is going to be tricky. And at that point, the Christian Science Monitor, which was starting a sort of a discovery channel, cable TV channel, as well as three public radio programs. And I got, um, went over there thinking I'd go work in TV because that had been my background. And they said, well, we don't have anything in TV right now, but have you ever tried public radio? I said, no, but I love listening to it. And uh, went into public radio and found my people and uh, really loved it. Loved the sound, loved working with sound. It was much less production than television, um, much more uh, simple but more creative than print because you were still working with some kind of technical medium. So uh, so it's been, that was fabulous. And then they went bankrupt, uh, big belly up, and I started teaching and then freelancing for all of those other news organizations. And, um, and it's been a great mix of, um, you know, working here but also keeping my finger in the pie. What do you think might be the most rewarding part of, since we're talking about TVU, being a student advisor to uh, students that are just getting their start uh, in the business? Uh, it's it's wonderful. Um, this year especially because of this fire, it's been just so rewarding to these kids have just put their hearts and souls into the station and um, you know they're crushed that it's it's fallen down but they are all about building it back up. Um, and, and again, having the alums come back and send their support is fabulous. So, you know, it does make you realize that, you know, you have made an impact on some students and that they remember. Um, so just the other day, I got uh, a message from somebody I taught 15 years ago, uh, and she's now in France, and she's been covering the terrorist attacks in France and in, in Brussels. And um, she wanted to know if I had an old piece of hers, and I did. And I had a whole little file of her work from 15 years ago. So I sent her, her name happens to be Adele, so I sent her the Adele playlist, <laughs> and um, she was thrilled to have that stuff. And I, I still, you know, re you play her stuff sometimes in class to say, this is a student who had no journalism experience. She had been a musician, came in out of the blue, and did some fabulous stuff because I think she had a great ear for sound. So, so when, you, when you touch back with those people, it, it really feels wonderful. And you've made the point about how uh, networking is one of the biggest uh, things you'll take from the college experience. And you said how, uh, you're being humble, you said that it was just a fluke that I got this job. But I, that's kind of how I feel about my first job. That, oh, uh, there happened to be an opening here. Someone decided crazy to, to take a chance on me. I, I think for uh, for kids who are in college radio and do want to go into whatever aspect of the business, there is sort of that thinking, oh, it's such this big uh, world, how do I break into it? It just takes one break, and if you're, if you're putting in the work, uh, it'll, it's a good chance it's going to happen. I can't stress enough the importance of networking and internships and making a good impression at those internships. Everybody at that radio station or TV station worked someplace else when they were starting out. They will help you get to that place and the next place and the next place if they like you. So make a good impression on your internships. Keep those contacts fresh. You know, we used to call it a tickler file. I don't know what you call it now, but you know, with social media, there's absolutely no excuse why you can't stay connected to people. Um, and you know, remember their birthday. You know, just be kind to them on various occasions and keep on their radar screen, and something will come along. And if you don't make those networks and those connections, it's a really tough road to hoe. Well, with the history of WTBU uh, going back to the late 1950s, 
The stationers always survived, whether it was uh, a flood in the 90s, uh, being in the basement of a dorm where only people in a weight room could hear you and probably didn't want to, to uh, being the first station ever to webcast uh, in 1999. And uh, Howard Stern, of course, the uh, one of the most famous uh, alumni uh, ever of the station. If you've seen the Private Parts movie, here, here's my little, little boast of, of fame. Uh, there's the scene at where he broadcast at WTBU. Uh, uh, you see the red sign in the background uh, where it says WTBU. Um, when they were making the movie, I was the general manager of the station at the time, so we sent them we sent them either a picture or an actual poster of that sign. They, they, they tweaked a little bit, made their own one, but uh, my brother made that sign, and we see it in the movie, and my brother always uh, makes sure to take credit that he made that sign that wound up in the Stern movie. Well, I've never seen the movie, but this will be the impetus. I will go, <laughs> go look for your sign. So, yes, we, we are very proud of our history and hope to have a glorious future. It will continue, uh, again, uh, based, uh, we, we know from, from the early reaction from uh, all the donations, uh, more than $33,000 just in one day recently. The donations continue. Uh, BU, uh, WTBU will continue. And uh, again, uh, and uh, WTBURadio.org is where people can go uh, for donations, right? Absolutely. And we really appreciate anything you can all do. Thanks. Ann Donahue, Associate Professor of Journalism at Boston University, WTBU advisor. Thanks again for coming on, talking about why college radio, why WTBU is so great here on the Billboard Chartbeat Podcast. Long live college radio. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.